Rob, we're in episode 30, man. This episode starts right now. <sighs> Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. <laughs> she's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Okay, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Just like I messed up the intro, I'm stumbling in, but it doesn't matter how I stumble in because at the end of the day, we are about sports. And today we're going to talk about basketball. How the hell did two, two top teams lose their opening match? Who's in trouble the most? But that's not where we're going to go first, Rob. We're going to go first to mix martial arts. Surprise, surprise for our people at home. MMA, Stipe Miocic defeated Daniel Cormier. In the main event via unanimous decision. The judges had it 49-46, 49-46, 48-47. Those are the three judges in the unanimous decision. A um, lot of things to talk about. And these were, by the way, everything today is fan questions. I didn't come up with these. People email me, Jeremy Carlin. Some people email me because I have people that are, we have fans that are avid MMA people. And of course, the NBA uh, we're fresh off of that, which is why we're doing sports debate Wednesday instead of Tuesday, because we wanted to make sure all of these NBA teams played, right? That's right. Got all my dogs barking. So um, first question is, let's lead us into this. Do you agree that it was a unanimous decision? And do you agree that it was four rounds to one? Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, unanimous decision. I mean, again, I went back and watched it and it was... I just because I wanted to see when he hurt his eye. I was, it was unbelievable. He hurt his eye in the third round and mm -hmm. he fought like, or at the end of the second round and he fought three more rounds with his eye all, you know, busted Jesus. in and torn retina and stuff. Like, yeah. man, I, you know, Did you much see respect the poke? to him. Like the, the replay yeah. of the slow motion of the poke. Slow motion makes it look worse than it is, but I don't know. That was just bad, dude. I was no. like, oh, Yeah, because oh, it wasn't oh. at the like the end of a punch or like trying to like grab a hand. It was just like he went like into almost punch him or like you know, and just open hand. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. He stuck his finger all the way in there. And the fact that, you know, who's it, Mark Goddard that was on there or I think it was her the, the fact her the fact that they didn't stop it because they stopped it for Stipe earlier mm -hmm. and you know you know Cormier I guess reacted like it was a punch but man it was like a clear and he asked for time and like didn't want he, he didn't get it so yeah very interesting um very interesting that the doctors let him fight you know a guy was saying he couldn't see after the fight but um yeah because once you say you can't see yeah you know yeah. but for me I thought it was a unanimous decision because um after that second, second, third round, it seemed like he was very defensive. Uh, that punch output wasn't quite there, and Stipe was the aggressor the whole fight, you know, and he pushed pretty much the pace most of the time. Uh, he landed a great deal of punches, a lot of power punches. You know, he looked great. You know, yeah, that was probably one of the best Stipe's I've seen out there. And yeah, I thought he was going to finish the fight, to be honest. Sorry. I that thought he was going to finish the fight, but... Um, you know, great fight, and uh, he laid it on the fifth and really solidified the win. I thought that's probably the right decision. You know, four to one, uh, three to two might have made it seem a little nicer, but I think it was probably more of a four to one type of type of fight. I thought it was four to one too. I thought um, um, he's dominating a lot of the first round, and then Dan Daniel Cormier got like this big shot at the end, and then you had the media saying Cormier won the first round based on that one big shot. But really, I gave him one two. I gave him one, two, three, and four, or one, two, three, and five. I'm trying to remember. It seems so far, so far away from whatever. But I agree with you in a sense that if you remember their first fight, okay, he got clipped um, by a precision shot because we both know Stipe can take a shot. He took he takes shots from Francis Ngannou, okay, and you for for five rounds and you avoid shots and take shots from him, you could take a shot. Cormier caught him with a precision strike, boom. Even the second fight, when when um, Stipe won by TKO, it looked Cormier looked like he was up two rounds to one in that fourth round. I mean, he 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 was just you. You always talk about it's not what your reach advantage is; it's how you use it. How mm -hmm. how this guy who's like you know in multiple inches shorter and multiple inches on a on a reach disadvantage manages to get in and clock someone you know almost punching up is beyond me. That's just someone that knows how to use his reach and Stipe. 
um, didn't make a lot of the same mistakes. He still ate a lot of those calf kicks and leg kicks in the beginning, but he wasn't trying to fight in the phone booth, which I found very interesting because this was a smaller octagon. The UFC has two octagons. One's a big one, and one's, one's, one's what I call the closet, fighting in the broom closet. And for Stipe to, to slip in and out in, in a smaller cage, uh, just a masterful performance by him, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy. And I think it's time the UFC gets behind someone like this guy. I mean, I know being brash and being arrogant and all that stuff and you know sells tickets especially if that arrogant said arrogant person backs it up conor mcgregor sean o'malley who we were gonna we might talk about a little bit later but there's nothing wrong make let's make room for a humble firefighter a a humble guy who um is a full-time firefighter you know what I'm saying? Who spends use all of his money in philanthropy? Um, not on the level of LeBron James because he don't make that much. But if you look, look at the percentage of time and money he puts in, the dude is somebody the UFC can get behind. He's an American hero, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, not a superhero. Okay, uh, Aquaman is a superhero. All right, he could talk, swim underwater, breathe underwater, and talk to fishes. All right, we, we, Stipe ain't doing that. Neither is LeBron James. Um, so, quick question, quick answer. Four rounds to one. The third judge might have saw it the same way the press saw it, and that's okay too because Stipe wasn't um, trying to ride out a decision. He he he's he's in his mind. He's always thinking he's it's tied or he's behind. It's tied is on a good day for him. He never thinks he's ahead, um, and he learned that because he fought years ago, and this is going way back when. Um, not way back when, but he fought Junior Dos Santos and lost a decision that he thought he won. You know, and he avenged that match later. He KO'd J- JDS later, but um, those were one of his two losses before, you know, he he rose to stardom. Get behind this guy. Cleveland's real first champion, okay? Not the Cavaliers, not LeBron, all right? Their first their first real champion, also associate, closely associated, if not wholly associated with the baddest man on the planet. And here's question 1A to our one, Rob. Uh, question is, Daniel Cormier says it's his last match and he's pretty much retiring. And from what we know about fighters and who we, we see the fire in their eye and the fire in their belly or to see, and we, or just we see they're, they're glazed and they just don't want to do this anymore. Is this really his last fight? Do you, don't, don't you, do you see him coming back or, 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 we just go on his well, word. I think it's exactly like he said. I think he's uh, only going to come back for a super fight or, you know, I think a George St. Pierre would be an interesting battle. You know, <laughs> if you could get down, you know, and George can get up a little bit because he's getting older. But, you know, a super fight or a... Uh, it's a lot of um, salads. <laughs> I know, a lot of salads. I know, he's got to go up GSP, but... Um, <sighs> You know, it would be very interesting to see what kind of fight he could occur. Um, but I, I think, you know, before, like, watching the fight, you know, up until the second round, I was like, this is the best physically I've seen Daniel Cormier, you know, because he definitely worked on his, you know, his lower, you know, his midsection so that Core. he couldn't get, yeah, he couldn't get knocked out a bit. You could definitely see the difference, a little bit more tone, but still, you know, that that weight and size it was nice to see and i thought his movement was better um you know i just really wish he didn't get poked in the eye because i'd love to see the, like the culmination of that fight but uh for me i feel like because he has a torn retina we don't know yet if you know that's going to be affected going forward that takes time to come back from to be able to get hit again in that area i just you know the timing is really terrible so i feel like he kind of just put it all out there for our last fight maybe in a year or two you know, if he's still training, feel comfortable, you know, gets a really good, but I really think this will be his last one. Just all case concerned because the eye, you know, the family, he has a career coming next. So I think he's just ready to settle into the next life. But I think he's definitely more of a possibility or of a less a possibility coming back than, you know, let's say uh, Henry Cejudo, you know. Right. So we'll see. Yeah. There's two reasons why I think he's going to stay retired, Rob. One, he's pretty much a man of his word. Like, if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do something, which makes this whole retirement thing kind of weird because he said he was originally was going to retire at 40. But what happens, you, you know, 
March, you turn 40 and you're like, all right, I'm 40, I'm done. But then Dana's like, if you, hey, why don't you hang around in the month in April, I can give you a title shot against Stipe. <laughs> hmm, hard to resist. I can go out as the champ champ, right? And then you beat him, you become the champ champ. And then this whole honey dicking of Brock Lesnar, uh, maybe coming back to fight him as a, as a money grab. Okay, I'll stay for one more fight. That didn't happen. Um, short notice title defense doesn't want to fight Stipe on short notice, but he can fight um, Derek Lewis on short notice, <laughs> you know, because that's neat. I mean, that's just Daniel Cormier being smart. Then out of this level of fairness, he gives Stipe his rematch and now he's 41. Now it's a year later and he's he's he stayed in the game a, a year too long. Uh, um he got KO'd, got caught in a match that he was ahead of. So wanted to see if he can fix that and involved a title fight. Like you said, to his credit, he just wants to be involved in upper echelon fights like that. So there's two reasons. One, you lost the trilogy. Back of the line. You ain't getting no fourth match against Stipe. That's, that's the reality. That's not going to happen. All right. That, and this is this is the guy that Dana likes, that Dana will give whatever he wants. Okay. So, um and the second reason is John Jones relinquished his light heavyweight title. John Jones has been tempting him, Cormier to fight him over and over again, and Cormier never bought, bit the bait. Cormier said, "Look, if I'm if John Jones won twice and I'm not good enough to beat that guy, I'm not good enough to beat that guy. That doesn't hurt my legacy as much as I think I do as it does because he's the champ, champ. Unlike Jones, you know, Daniel Cormier won in two title divisions, and Daniel Cormier was undefeated as a heavyweight, um, absent those two losses to Stipe. So to him, I'm either good enough to be the best of the best or I'm not. And if I'm not, I'm okay because it's better than anything that anyone's ever done in their life. Uh, you know, oh, wow. You know, how many championship matches have you lost in? Oh, I'm sorry. You've never been in a championship match. Oh, I'm sorry. You've never been in the top 10. Oh, I'm sorry. You've never been in the top 50. Oh, I'm, you don't even fight. <laughs> huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, so there's two major reasons. One, you lose a trilogy. You, you, you got you got to back away. It just looks, you know, nobody nobody's nobody's down with that. And the second reason is Jones relinquished his title, and he's really really just sitting back because he wants big money to fight Francis and Ganu or or whatever. And to Jones's credit, maybe Dana might not feel like he's worth the money or whatever. But I think the time he put in, and if and Rob, if you're in a lighter weight class, and you they want you to fight someone who really walks around. 20 pounds, 25 pounds heavier than you, starching people. How about, how about send a little money away in case <laughs> that person you fight might be your last one? <laughs> so, very true. So, uh, before we move on to the other matches, I put together something I like to affectionately return, uh, refer to as Jason's top five. Rob, he's, he's got a bunch of top fives. I got a bunch of top fives. This is Daniel Cormier's top five moments in or out of the octagon number five thug rose thug rose thug rose i don't know if you remember that match when rose namayunas fought jo jo joanna champion joanna john jacek for the title at madison square garden and when she KO'd and one of the most shocking upsets. Uh, we, we, we want to talk about maybe we could, you could do a top five MMA upsets next week. How about that, Rob? That's your assignment. Um, and when she knocked him out, and everybody's like, Oh my god, pandemonium, all this, this. All you could hear echoing through, through the garden was him saying, Thug Rose, Thug Rose. And it will be remembered. His color commentary is sharp, but him repeating that is something that will be remembered for years to come. So that is a Cormier moment that didn't have, it didn't even have anything to do with him fighting. Sorry, let me speed this up. Number four, okay. beating Josh Barnett to win the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. That was big because at the time, five of the top ten heavyweights in all of mixed martial arts were not in the UFC. They were, they were. I mean, JDS and Kane were top heavy, but you look at Alistair Overeem, you look at Josh Barnett, you look at Junior Dos Santos. Fedor at that time was in his prime. Five of the top ten heavyweights were in strike force. So for Daniel Cormier to win a Grand Prix tournament, coming as a replacement at that, that, that. Uh, KO Bigfoot Silva, and then lift up Josh Barnett and just flip a guy who, because Daniel's good at that, right? Taking big dudes mm -hmm. bigger and looking like Mighty Mouse, just listening. So that's number four. Number three, 
watching him make weight in this fight against Alexander Gustafson. This was ridiculous. This is him coming out with the towel. He makes sure he's holding the towel. They replace it with the UFC towel. And what does he do? He pushes on the top of the towel because if he's a little bit over 205, he ain't going to get that. He's not going to be able to defend his title. He's going to miss weight. And look at him. Jacked. Pumped. He's back and made weight. Yes. How did that happen? <laughs> Survived. Towelgate. That's number three. Number two. An unbelievable We on that champ champ stuff. We on that champ champ stuff. Okay. Didn't beat John Jones, but you submit Anthony Johnson, a guy who was knocking people into different weight classes. In fact, if you remember the first round, he hit Daniel Cormier so hard. Daniel Cormier, he, I thought he was in a different weight class. I thought he got knocked down the Mighty Mouse. Ready to, I thought he looked like Demetrius Johnson for two seconds before he recovered. So, but look, you 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 make that that dude tap out. You starch Stipe Miocic in the first round, champ champ. That is a big moment. That's. Almost everybody else is number one, but that's not my number one. My number one was beating Anthony Rubble Johnson to win his first UFC title. You get you get to the top, you get a shot, you you miss, and someone that's never lost and how much the pain of that that hurts. And then two months later, all of a sudden, John Jones isn't the champion, and then you're in this interim you're in this interim title match, and you have this second shot, and you have to get right, not just with your body, but with your mind, you know. And already the shock of getting dominated uh, in your own in your own wheelhouse. He got out wrestled by John Jones. Uh, he got taken down twice. I've never seen Daniel Cormier get taken down. So beating Anthony Johnson to win his first title, uh, I, I I have his number one moment. So thoughts on my top five. Yeah, I mean, I love him. Uh, definitely brings back some great moments. Uh, I feel like I definitely have to watch a little bit more of like old school, uh, other MMA, uh, mm-hmm. you know, other MMA uh, companies because you know K One had great kickboxing, and yeah. I saw I watched that. That was fun, but Ooh. you know, especially over back in the right? day, they weren't really. Yeah, I mean, but even Strikeforce back in the day, like it wasn't really highly publicized, so it's. You got to go back and watch those things because back in the day, Daniel Cormier didn't know he's going to be a double champ. You know, it's it's easy to look back in hindsight and be like, oh, wow, you know, this guy's got a great future coming. But like at that time, you know, him picking up, you know, all these guys and slamming them down, nobody was doing that. You know, only like the Giants and freaking heavyweight. Um, and it was like at that, they didn't have they didn't have skill with that. So like, yeah, just too good to see these guys you know, fighting in different weight classes and doing different things earlier in their career. But then you think about right now, I know he's 41, but he was fighting at 262. And then he was trying to make 205 right there to fight Anthony Rumble Johnson. He's like, dude. 60 pounds. He's like, Ariel, I had a salad. I never had a salad before. <laughs> That's how he said it. Cracked me up. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> 60 pounds. 60 pounds. That That's is a Backstreet Boy. Amount. That's a That's a Backstreet Boy. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Like, oh god let me um all right so let's take us to our second most important thing a lot of good fights i wouldn't say great fights because we've seen so many cards where the the great fights were from beginning to end and i didn't feel that way about this pay-per-view um in fact we saw a lot of the house shows that were free on on free s not free s but espn cable and espn plus the that top to bottom were at the end retrospectively were better but let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about Sean O'Malley, man. Uh, Cheeto Rivera, um, I warned you in the beginning, was a guy not to be messed with. But his victory, we all have to admit, seems a little marred by this, this what seems like an ankle or calf injury by Sean O'Malley. Your thoughts on how the match went down. First of all, before we got on the podcast, you thought it was already hurt before he got in. Let's, let's talk about that. Is, for the people on the audio version, okay. Mike, that was a sneeze. That's Rob trying to be polite. Ooh, Respect. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so when I watched the fight over, um, I watched it from a doctor's perspective, but he was talking about the injury itself. But then I watched the fight from beginning to end after I had watched it live again. And if you watch the fight, he does shake his right his right leg off. I believe that's the one that was injured. He does shake his back leg off. Um, a couple times in between the time he got injured and the time the fight started because it's a pretty 
quick fight. Um, he shakes his back leg a couple times. Um, and then, uh, so you see he's trying to like, you know, get some sort of a, you know, a balance or an equilibrium with whatever he's dealing with. Um, so in, in my eyes, I feel like he possibly hurt himself in sparring. You know, it's a, it's a re-injury of the same injury. So I could only imagine if he came back too soon and then hurt his foot again. Um, and then a lot of the videos that he puts out, they're not necessarily of him in the gym training and sparring. They're of him, you know, in his house doing very, you know, leisure stuff. So I'm wondering if he took, a, you know, you hear guys say, I didn't spar for three months. So I wonder if, you know, mm. he's just trying to get through this fight, get a paycheck because, you know, win or lose, you get a paycheck and then deal with the injury then and, and take some time off and build your, build your brand again. But, um, yeah. I mean, he, you never see that guy want to pull from a pull out of a fight either, right? Exactly. I mean, anybody, because you don't want to be, you know, the talk of what he is now of, you know, is he injury prone? You know, it's the same injury. He's a skinny guy. He's in a physical sport, you know, an all physical sport. Um, no, you know, when Cheeto got him on the ground, you know, that was, he wasn't able to really get up. Even when, uh, Andre took to yeah. Kutaman, you know, when he hurt his leg the first time and he brought him to the ground, you know, he wasn't really able to do too much on the ground to whether it was escape or, you know, try to stay on the ground, but, you know, maybe he gives up on the ground. You know, these are, these are things that are kind of red flags for him as a striker where, uh, maybe he should have pulled out of the fight. You know, maybe he should have healed himself up and not try to, you know, take too much more injury. It's better. I don't know what he's going through, yeah. but, like uh, it would yeah, have been better for his brand, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's very disappointing to see because that's something you can't get away from. You know, you have to really take your time and take time off. And the more you re-injure something, the more time you have to take. And, uh, you know, with his star going up, it's just a really disappointing. Even if he lost, it's fine. I don't mind if you get knocked out. But if you get injured again in the same area, it's very disappointing and, and disheartening. You know, for, yeah. for him, I'm sure, but also for us. Yeah, I mean, I when I see someone as thin as him and I look at his build, I have these 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 terrifying flashbacks of um I guess for for the MMA casuals, um Anderson Silva kicking Chris Weidman's leg which is an extreme example because that was the most gruesome thing I've ever seen. And there goes your lunch. Sorry. Um the second one was a, a guy no one heard of who's on the Ultimate Fighter reality show. Um after the show, Corey Hill. The guy was 6'4" and making weight at 155, you know, and he had something that was gruesome. And sometimes when those legs kick, leg kicks get checked, or when you're, you're kicking the leg of a fighter whose bone density is, um, I'm, I don't know if it's higher or low, but more, uh, I'll just use the word sturdy. Sometimes when you feel like you're kicking a brick wall and not a soft tree, you know, um, it, it does make you question his durability. And like you said, there are some fights for your star power that you have to pull out of just as much as there's fights for your star power that you want to show people how tough you are that you go through an injury like conor mcgregor got injured um when he fought max holloway he um tore his acl in the middle of the second round you know um and finished that match um but something a lot of people don't know is that um his um pcl and L and mcl uh max holloway tore his the first round so, but because Conor is the more popular fighter at that time, nobody mentioned that Max Holloway got hurt a whole round before. So it is a testament, you know, like after the fact where people uh, be like, okay, wow, he played, he did do this. And the fighters, Rob, we, we all know that nobody, no fighter, very rarely does a fighter come into a fight a hundred percent. Right. And you, it's like the heart of the some, uh, aka those guys pull out of fights more than the, more than the, a general in a whorehouse because they 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 spar so hard against each other because they think that's the way the best way to prepare your fighters you know and some camps are just smart excuse me now i'm sneezing but some camps are a little bit smarter with that i think max holloway's kind of eased off on it dustin poirier you um you know, he eased up on his camps and Robbie Lawler at the end, he wasn't sparring at all. <laughs> so, so again, you know, one of our favorite fighters, you said uh, uh, on the last podcast, let's see what this guy's made of. You wanted him to fight. I mean, it's nice he's undefeated and it's nice he's getting his rub, but you want to see him fight real fighters. And I promised you, because you didn't know a lot about Cheeto at the time. I said, look, look, 
He gets by Cheeto, that's the real deal, because this is a guy that's taken nothing but tough fights. Right, 16-6 and six is not a great record, but if you consider all six of his losses were decisions, close decisions, and of his 16 wins, 14 finishes, this, 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 this is a bad dude, man, you know? Yeah, and uh-huh. fights both weight divisions. And the other thing is, um, watching the fight, though, you know, first round, um, I mean, I thought, you know, skill and toughness, you know, I feel like they're not always hand in hand. I think, you know, Cheeto has a lot of that. But even his post fight when he was talking about how, you know, it was the calf kick that did it. I don't really think it was. I think that 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 culminated to it. But he seems a bit unsure, you know, of himself. And that's the way it seemed a little bit on the on the uh, when they were on their feet striking back and forth. Like, as soon as he got, he shot him on his back, he did his thing and shut him down real but fast. But you're right, but on the feet, he... On the feet, you know, Sean was pretty much outclassing him in movement, you know, in a smaller ring, you know, um, and didn't really throw any leg kicks. That's like kind of his... That's 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 what, you know, kind of came to me. It was like, Sean is like a very... He, he's trying to go for that head kick. He's trying to get that, you know, stellar knockout and a guy with his power. Yeah, you could, you know, catch a guy like Cheeto on the chin, but... If you're really gonna knock a guy like that out, you gotta put, you know, you gotta hook your foot around his, you know, around his chin. So agreed. Sometimes in the beginning um, of a fight, Rob, right? Like, you don't think someone is as strong. Like, you you feel someone's wrestling, and you're like, oh my god, he's stronger than I thought. Or someone throws a body kick or a leg kick or just like a straight jab, and then you feel their power. You there is this 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 thing in someone's head nobody talks about. Like, whoa. This guy's more powerful than I thought he was. And where do I go? Do I keep the same game plan? How do I go from there? So I'm glad you pointed that out because anyone that watches fights close like we do, closely like we do, we do see, uh, we don't like to say doubt or fear because I don't think a lot, I mean, either a fighter comes in there and scared to death or they come in there with no fear. You see a lot of that and, that and that's what helps them win. But I did see a little bit of doubt like Cheeto like, Okay, I got hit, and this guy, he's going to be tougher to get into. And you saw him not, maybe not even doubting. Maybe I got him pegged wrong, but trying to figure out how he's going to go through this fight from there. So a very, very good observation. Very, very good observation. Yep. All right, hey, so next topic. We're going to talk a little bit, a bit about one of the big three. We're going to talk about the NBA. The top two seeds. It's playoff week. We um, moved this podcast back because we wanted all the playoff teams to play at least one, one, um, one game coming in. So let's talk. We're bringing our honing in, bringing our personal attention to the top two seeds. That's the Milwaukee Bucks and on the East, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers from the West. Both top seeds have lost their first game with. Um, Let's check it out. We got the Lakers. I just want to get scores. I already know who won and lost. The Lakers lost to the Blazers 100-93. And the Magic, the eighth seed, upset the Bucks, uh, 122-110. to uh, So the fan question, Rob, just on the small sample size on these, on these first games alone, who looks like they're in the most trouble to lose their first, to be upset in their first round, the Lakers or the Bucks? Um... Well, for me, I'd have to go with the Bucks just because I feel as though they're the team that would crack. And people say it, but this is still the year Giannis is, is looking to possibly leave or not leave or see what their team's made of. And, of course, it's got to be a year like this. But um, I think it, that there's so much pressure on the Bucks to play at such a high level in such an unusual uh, circumstance uh, I just think I just feel a lot of pressure for them I mean I think a lot of these teams are going to make it through the first round um, even though they're playing really tough tough matchups uh, just because there wasn't many games played and I feel as though the season although it was to lock up the seeds uh, for the playoffs it was really just like a preseason you know and I feel like this is now a season where the coaches are really taking these seven game series like, ah, if we do lose one, it's okay. You know, they're playing it really smart because it's going to be a long postseason. You know, I feel like it's going to be a lot of seven, six, seven-game series, which means the next series can't start until that seven-game series is finished. So there's just, it's just going to be a really long series where, you know, people need to really work on rest and recovery and recuperation. So 
I think it's going to be the best organization really does win. And I don't see the Bucks being the best overall organization being how they look after the players, how they treat the players. Again, I'm not saying anything bad about Milwaukee. I'm just saying the track record doesn't leave me with a, you know, a good precedent. Yeah. So <clears throat> with the Lakers, you know, they're going to give everything those guys need to be rehydrated, to keep them on LeBron level, you know, hydration and, and, and recovery and, you know, they have a litmus, you know, they have a something to look towards, you know, in LeBron, AD, you know, with Giannis, he's a young guy, you know, and although he does great things, I don't think he's done enough, whether in his life or in the sport, to really create that environment for everybody instead of saying, like, I want this, I want that, I need this, I need that, you know, and being like, what do we need to succeed? How can we succeed? And his play has always done that, but I don't think, behind the scenes he's necessarily that um forthcoming just because he's been there for a while you know he's put his dues in i understand where he's coming from but we're talking about who's going to be successful in this point where round one playoffs i see that being more of an issue where you know there's disconnect in the organization there's going to be disconnect on the court and all you need everything to come together to be able to get through especially this first round i think it's going to be the most difficult for both both teams. teams yeah I think both teams get through, Rob. But as as to the question, which which like if one if one of them didn't get through, who's in the most trouble? I kind of lean towards you with the Bucks, and somewhere I think by the time I'm done, I could change my mind. But there are a lot that comes into play, like um, the Orlando Magic is driven mostly by coaching strat and and strategy where the the trailblazers who are playing the lakers as the eighth seed are more as more player driven and and by by leadership um behind damian lillard right lillard you know came up really big came up with the, his did his thing came up with what where, where is it right it's 30 34 points right mm-hmm. you got um a, a nurture sorry nurkic um 15 boards behind 16 points, so that's solid. Carmelo Anthony looks like he's had having the time of his life, you know, and so on a small scale, came up with 10 boards, 11 points, but um, the timeliness of his shots shows that he's comfortable with the team, and it's not like, you know, he's he's not the give-me-the-ball Carmelo Anthony we saw from the Nuggets and the Knicks. He is this this team player, and he's definitely taking his shots. His physical conditioning looks so much better, and... And it's, I mean, and I don't, I find it weird even talking about the guy right now because he's not even like the third best player, but he's someone I'm going to be like, if <clears throat> the Lakers lose, watch out, watch out because it, it could be because of this guy, you know? No, absolutely. I think really like Carmelo, I mean, 10 boards, he's like the prototypical and he never wanted to do it because he never wanted to bang on the boards, but he's a phenomenal rebounder. He's a phenomenally smart, uh, interior defender mm-hmm. uh, in that he doesn't have, he doesn't leave his feet you know there's big guys who play the you know the grounded game and there's big guys who play the you know up at the air up there game uh, Carmelo is one of those grounded guys he stays on the ground he tries to swipe the ball and, and take quick steals on guys going up not controlling the ball I think he's one of the most prototypical stretch fours you could ever ask for you know if he gives that effort and he really wants to give that effort now so yeah. You know, do it in spurts, that's great, but I'm not worried about him scoring. He's going to put up a 22, a 25, a 30-point game here or there, and that's what you need off the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a fantastic rotational player right now that he's taking that role. Uh, for me, 10 rebounds, I mean, how much time was he on the court? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's to me, 10 rebounds is, is, is monumental because you got shooters like Dame Lillard, You've got big men down low where you can really make those buckets count if you say, hey, Melo's going to get me 10. Nurker's going to get me 15 rebounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, right there, that's half your Oh, C.J. McCollum. Let's not forget about him, right? Twenty. Nope. C.J. McCollum's the other good player that, that we haven't talked about yet. 21 points, five rebounds. Um, right. He's getting bounds, getting points. You know, so those those defensive or offensive rebounds really mean a lot to, to, to get everybody else comfortable shooting that second opportunity shot or just getting the ball down there because Carmelo is again a smart player he can push the ball down the floor and then follow up with a three-point opportunity so yeah it's just the way the league is looking uh, Carmelo is exactly the type of player you want a big body shooter 
that can play a little down low, but he wants to play on the outside. Taking so care of his body, playing defense. Now he was he was never a noted defensive player, but taking care of his physical conditioning right now. Um, I'm, I'm a Brooklyn enough, guy. Though. I really want him to do well. Sorry. But watching him enough, really, when Carmelo was playing for the Knicks, I know everybody hates him, but he had nothing for years. Years. He came in with Omari Stoudemire, got hurt every single season, barely played with him. Like, and and Amare should not have gotten paid the money he got paid because he was on an exp- like he was going downward. So anyway, the thing is, is Carmel never had anybody, so he didn't have he didn't have any feeling to want to play basketball. But when you really watched him, you know when he's doing well, he was an amazing defender. He's one of the hardest players to defend, which makes him an okay defender at best. But when he put the effort in, when he was focused. He's an amazing defender. You know, he's got a quick first step. He just doesn't follow that up after. And he does have uh, an ability to try to stay in front of defenders. That's all you need. You just need somebody to block shots. You don't need somebody to follow him to the rim, block the shot, take the rebound, go down the court. Just stay on your man. That's literally it. So playing that four where maybe the guy in front of you is a little less uh, active or playing the outside, you know, that that three ball guy uh, in the corner or playing the top of the key you know, and just staying on the top of the key, not having to chase anybody around. It's, it's a fantastic role for him. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, um, if I look at his, the history of the league, I would, I would initially say the Lakers are in bigger trouble than the Bucks because historically I've seen good coaches beat good teams. We've seen Larry Brown you know, with a bunch of journeymen in Detroit beat the Lakers. We, you know, the Celtics has a, has a good coach. I mean, with respect to Tatum and, and the bunch, I mean, those, you, you don't see a lot of five-star players on a team. You see a four and a, and a couple of threes, but they're winning a lot. You know, the Bucks right now, I mean, if, if you only look at the numbers, Greek Freak tried to do, tried to do it himself. I mean, I'm, you're looking at the, the leader in, in, in scoring in that game. It was him. You're looking for the leader in rebounds in that game for his team. It was him, 17, 17 rebounds. You're looking yeah. for the leader in assist in that game. It was him, seven assists. So he he um he was leading in all these assists. George Hill had five assists and sixteen points, but that wasn't enough to to overcome the Magic, who by the way went in a 15-6 run in the first quarter. You know, so the Bucks are. I mean, they have come back, but. You, if you get a lead on them, your confidence gets better. Where if you get a lead on the Lakers, it almost feels like no lead is safe. So that's there's an argument back and forth. My concern for the Lakers is that they have to be able to score with Portland in the fourth quarter. They do their best work in the fourth quarter. And in fact, they led in the fourth quarter by as much as six or seven. And then the, the, um, the Blazers closed it out 19, I believe it was 19, they won in a 19-6 run. To finish, L.A. missed all of their three-pointers, and they missed all of their free throws. So it's one of those things where if they have to score with Portland, they're the most they're in the most danger of losing. And the only thing that makes me pick the Lakers, uh, uh, as far as likelihood over the over the Bucks getting to the second round, is LeBron James. Even with Anthony Davis as a top player, top five player, and all these parts around him, he's still the common denominator. The man is tough to beat four out of seven times. Uh, there's a general, a general basketball pundit in me that says never bet on LeBron never bet against LeBron four out of seven times even though all of the evidence suggests that it could go this way I'm, I, I do think the Bucks can get out coached uh, yeah. by, by Orlando you know, I, Orlando, Orlando out coached him no absolutely I mean I would have to just say like the only thing with that is LeBron put up what he yeah. put up 34 <laughs> 11 and 8 and then Anthony Davis put up 28 and 11 like yeah. What more could he do? You know, he could put up 48, but how many 50-point games did he have? Yeah, he put up 20, 23 uh, points, 17 boards, and 16 assists. LeBron? Yeah. That, yeah, and, I mean, and those like aren't barely triple-double numbers. Those are convincing. Yeah, those are ridiculous numbers. <laughs> I mean, you could only thing he could do statistically to impress people is score over 40 points. You know, and even at that, he's getting 60%. Right now, he's probably 50, 55% of his team's points, yeah. you know, between rebounds, assists, and then points. Like, he literally can't do any more. He's reinvented himself, but again, and this is the same thing with Giannis, is, is 
Like, if you can't score the basketball by shooting first, it's very difficult to beat teams because they can strategize against you not playing in the paint. And I'm not saying LeBron can't do that, but it takes an entire shot clock for the ball to get from his hands, then to get to somebody else, move him around, and then shoot again because he's not uh, take the ball, make a move, make a shot, 48 minutes. You know, he could no. do that for the last second shot. Yeah. He can and we've do seen, that him, we seen him take shot. point, but not the whole game. Yeah. Right. But not like run around with the ball like Curry and, oh, you're not even on me? Shoot. You know, that's just, it's different. You know, and even Clay Thompson, like, there's very few players that can really do that. Even Clay has difficulty with more of moving with the basketball and shooting than being in a set shot and hitting a shot. I'm not saying they're not good at it. It's just, when a team is strategizing five to 10 to 12 players against what you're doing, it's a lot easy to replicate all the way down the list on how to keep somebody out of the paint as opposed to stay on your man, watch the switches, and be able to defend the shot. You know, there's just a lot more movement happening. That's why, you know, I'm not saying LeBron is un- undefeatable, but, uh, or he's, you know, unstoppable, but. The thing is, is the way that he's changing his game, where he's taking the ball out of his hands and putting it to other teammates, it'll blow his stats up. But will that win games where he's not the one controlling the ball? Because like you said, common denominator. He used to be that guy, well, he will get that bucket. He can get that bucket, but will he be able to, at an advanced age, as and with the mindset of being even more of the point guard, not just, I got to get this bucket or I got to put the ball in the bucket. It's like 16 assists, man. You have to have a certain mentality or you're not trying to score. No, you no know? doubt. So, no doubt. Just what it is. Yeah. Well, from, it's also about constant pressure too, Rob. Like, think about this. In order for the Blazers to win this, they had to go on a 19-7 run to win. So can can they do that four out of seven times? You know? Uh, and if LeBron – let's say LeBron just – keeps these numbers or equivalent like let's say he puts up 23 7 and 7 instead of boarding out like that you know um the question is can the blazers do what they're they're doing four out of seven times as far as constant pressure is concerned you know because what lebron's doing uh win or lose that that pressure's there every game against against the teams he goes against and and wow very fun topic very 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 fun question you know, yeah, we're absolutely. still we're still leaning towards the Lakers getting getting to the second round, though. Uh, I'm well, I'm leaning towards b- both of them, but as to the yeah, question, as to the question, who could be in trouble? Whatever, I'm still it's on fun the to Bucks, talk man. about. Yeah. The Bucks are in trouble, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we get to shame, no shame. Um, I'd like a thumbs up, thumbs down from you, okay? Uh, for MMA, Reyes faces Blakovich, Blak- Blak- Blakovich, to uh, fight for the light heavyweight title. You have you see two fifty three thumbs up, thumbs down. Gonna be fantastic. All right, thumbs up. Um, Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall in October. All right, that's a big thumbs down. I'm doing it for the audio. <laughs> um, Pedro Munoz, that's this weekend versus Frankie Edgar. It's, I'm, I didn't even know they had a match this weekend, um, but I might just skip all that and just watch the main event like everybody else does. I'm a, I'm a Frankie fan. And Pedro Munoz is a stud too. I'm man. a big Pedro Munoz fan. You know, Ooh, who you got? Who you got? Munoz? You got Munoz yeah. or Edgar? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rock with Munoz, but if I had to put money on it, you know, it's hard to go against it, Frankie Edgar. <clears throat> All right. So we have one topic for uh, one question for shame and no shame. So I will do that. Let's set it up. Shame. 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 So, Rob, shame or no shame, the NFL is still suspending players testing positive for marijuana uh, um, substance. Shame or no shame? Um, Absolutely shame. Um, And I don't want to cross over your points, but, you know, I do agree with if you have a set season, you know, and if it's, you know, not something that's a, a legal substance in, a, in another state, you know, you're able to do that. Uh, for me, uh, contact, contact sports, 
uh, with CT happening, with all the stuff going on mentally, you need to be able to have some sort of a release to, to get, you know, those things not in your mind still to, to get and give your, your body and your mind some piece of, uh, piece of being. So I absolutely disagree with what they're doing. Um, but they should just have research and do research and, and, and have some test trials and do it in a small bubble and see what happens. You know, I like that. You can take the rest of the, the minute. We're going to go one minute a piece. But I, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, go ahead. It's so cool. All right, cool. And then we got the. Ah, there it <laughs> is. <laughs> All right. So me, Rob, I got to go. Shame on the NFL on this one, and I'll tell you why. It's shame on the NFL because it's it's just like the outside world, outside of, outside of the world of sports. They don't want you buying your drugs. They want you buying their drugs, all right? Think about OxyContin. Think about painkillers. Think about all of these substances that NFL NFLs pump into their, their bodies, that pump into their knees and, and elbows via needle just so they can numb the pain, okay? The pain is there to remind you that something's wrong with you and something's hurting so if you're allowed to take drugs to to numb the pain why can't you take a drug that actually uh relaxes relaxes your mind or that act that actually doesn't really have um uh uh a devastating effect on the deterioration of your quality of life. In many instances, it enhances your quality of life. It's 2000, it's 2020. Come on, people. Make it legal. Shame on the NFL. And before my horn, I say, grow up. All right. And that's um, shame or no shame. Cool. <laughs> that's pretty good. So yeah. um, our last topic, of course, we are going to go movie of the week rob my movie of the week oh you know who you got you no no no, no. Go ahead, first? Go ahead. all right yeah. my movie of the week i was torn between the two and i'm probably going to do one next week but in but for the sake of what we were talking about we started with mixed martial arts i'd like to finish with mixed martial arts my movie of the week that a lot of people don't think is a sports movie of the week because that's our recommendation sports movies of the week rob is blood sport wow blood sport people Dude, that's not a sports movie. You can go kick rocks. Yes, it is a sports movie. It was mixed martial arts before mixed martial arts was introduced as a sport. Bloodsport, ladies and gentlemen, is a movie starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, posed as a, a character named Frank Dukes, an American military army colonel, based on a true story that flies to China to compete in an all-out, no-rules a limited rules, uh, almost no rules, competition, not in an octagon, but on a platform where people from all over the world bring their genius and their, their craft to, to this fight game. Basically, this guy's a Muay Thai fighter. This guy's a kickboxer. This guy is a wrestler. This one's Kung Fu. That guy's Karate. That one is whatever. So these different styles of fighting to see which style is the best in a... In a single elimination bracketed competition called Bloodsport. And I like Bloodsport because I really loved the character Frank Dukes and I really loved that it introduced Jean-Claude Van Damme as the new action star, uh, um, uh, mixed martial artist, you know, along with Steven Seagal and remember Chuck Norris or whatever, from the 80s to the 90s, all the way up to this point. And anyone that's a big MMA fan right now really has to watch that. I don't give it a high rating. This is really about just getting your your sports buzz on on a different level. So, out of a possible four McKibben beards, I give it two and a half. What's yours? So my movie is the first of a trilogy, but I just love this trilogy in itself. But uh, it's Mighty Ducks, um, something I used to watch all the time when I was younger. But it's a very interesting story, especially the first um, Mighty Ducks, where you know, you have these, you know, under underprivileged kids that don't really have a lot and they get beat down. Uh, and it's by a team that just has everything. And, you know, it's a very usual story, especially back in the 90s of where, you know, the disadvantaged underdog, you know, gets gets the chances and the opportunities and they do better than the team that always has had it. Um, so I love the way it finishes. I love the way it starts. I love the middle, you know, Emilio Estevez. Uh, just how he has to deal with the turmoil of getting back, like being in the rat race and, and learning that, 
the most important thing in life is to be happy as opposed to fight for your happiness or to, you know, spend all your hours to get happiness and then never be happy. So it's just a very, a lot of, a lot of meanings behind it. Um, and then the rest of the trilogy going on and seeing like the growth of, you know, all these different people and them going to college and going to high school and doing all different, you know, stuff from different perspectives. But uh, it's always just one of my favorite movies is sport, you know, as an athlete, as well as just a, a fan enjoying sports. So uh, I don't watch hockey all the time, but I love, you know, backstories. And um, I think this is just one of my favorite movies. So definitely go watch it, Mighty Ducks. Best trilogy. How, how, how do you rate it? Given beards, I mean, I got to give it like three and a half. This is like yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. So. I like Definitely it too because, there. and I, I really liked your point because when I think of Mighty Ducks, I think of just under, underdog story and just pe people through their hard work overcoming, you know, odds that some people consider not plausible if, if possible. Um, but you brought another level that I never thought about about happiness. Like Amir Estevez was like in this money making business. I forgot what profession he was. He was but, a lawyer, I believe. But no amount of money has ever brought you, bought you a second of time, you know, as far as like quality time or this or that. And I got that from Avengers Endgame, uh, Tony Stark's father. And I would suggest no amount of money can, can, that it can buy you a level of happiness, but the level of gratification that comes from hard work and that comes from seeing the fruits of your labors and seeing that, pro that productivity, um, sometimes can be bought but feel so much better when when that level of happiness uh at the end of the day you see your bill and it's zero balance it's free of charge you know really really liked your, your point very very good point um hey people that's all we got this is episode 30 man this is 30 consecutive episodes of us doing good podcast episodes doing bad podcast episodes doing eh, eh, whatever i thought we kind of hit it home this way be because we talked about two two subjects and we're able to delve into it under the same time frame so rob anything before we go but <clears throat> oh man stay safe out there stay sane you know believe in yourself <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Believing in yourself in this climate and in this 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 crazy, wacky world. I wish all of you the same level of happiness that Rob and I are enjoying right now. Rob's getting back into the sport of professional beach volleyball, and I wish you well with that. And I wish yes, everybody sir. else well, okay? For all of you at home, for all of you on your desktop, who runs the world? Old school old school for all of you on your iPhones. It's about lunchtime. You guys are looking on your iPhone and looking at this. For all of you on your iPads, for all of you on your Androids, Droid, remember that? I do. For Rob, keep it McLean McLean. I'm Jason DeBeas. And until next week, we say, we're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiondb.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.